Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Tim shares the Word of God. Our prayer is that your life will be touched by the Spirit of Almighty God and constant, powerful truths that can be applied to your everyday life. Let's join Pastor Tim with today's message. We are in the middle of chapter 1 in Philippians in our verse-by-verse study. Hopefully after these last several lessons, your Bible is already now falling open to Philippians when you pick it up because you're spending a lot of time there in Philippians studying along with us. Uh, This section that we want to look at deals with our perception of life. Perception, that word, how, how do you see it? Uh, our, our seeing our circumstances is more than what we actually view with our eyes. We not only physically see, but each one of us perceive. And, and your perception depends or, or your perception is based on what you have learned and experienced in your past. You got four people that look up at the sky, a painter, a poet, a weatherman, and a musician. All four of those are going to look at the sky, and all four of those are going to see something completely different. The sky and what they see in the sky will will take on a different meaning for them. The painter will see colors that most of us don't even see, nor do we really even know what color that is. The poet is going to look up and just begin to see words that rhyme. The musician is going to look there and begin to see lyrics just come to him in a song. The weatherman is going to diagram what has just happened and what's about to happen and see all our background affects our seeing. For us to learn something new, everything that you learn has got to be based on previous knowledge. That's why we don't teach calculus to our kindergartens. There's there's certain pieces of knowledge that have to be gained along the way because all that you learn new has got to be based on previous knowledge. Now, when we come in and begin to study the Word, and we start studying about spiritual truth, and we begin to wash our mind with the Word, we we start looking at the Word and having the Word shape our life, you got to know that you are fighting your background. All of us are. I come here and I say, I want to teach on the fatherhood of God. What's a great concept? God is our father. Except for those whose dad beat them, beat their mom, and ran off and left them and their mom. Then I'm teaching on the fatherhood of God. I've got a problem with that person. Does that make sense to you? Because you are learning based on previous knowledge. When I say, today we're going to talk about the fact that Jesus is like a brother. Well, that'd be okay except for your brother abused you. Your brother is the one that got you on drugs. Your brother is the one that introduced you to your first alcohol. Well, 
Uh, so here we've got a roadblock in here. Well, today, let's talk about prayer. Church, I want to teach on a prayer life. Well, that's good, except for you. When you were four years old, your little dog got hit by a car, and you prayed and asked him, God, to let him live, and your little dog died. So you already know about prayer and how it works. So you see, we, we've got a background that, that gives us a perception when we're trying to learn truth. So you've got to know that going into a Bible study. Now, let's just be honest. Another problem in learning truth is that you don't want to know it. Because it's easier to blame somebody else. I don't want to know. Don't confuse me with the facts. I've already got my mind made up. The, another pro the next problem with learning truth is you don't want to. You don't want to dive in and find the truth in the word because it would require a change in your life and you don't want to give up the sin that you're in. I mean, that's just where we are. You like doing what you're doing. You don't want anybody to find out about what you're doing. So don't talk to me about sin. I don't want to know about the conviction of God. I don't want to know about the consequences of sin in my life. John chapter 8 verse 32 says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Well, that word know is not just sit there and let it go in one ear and out the other. That word know means activated knowledge. You don't just know the truth because the truth don't set anybody free. Oh, you know the truth, the truth set free. The truth doesn't set anybody free. The activated knowledge of the truth sets you free. And you've got to understand the connotation of that word or you'll miss what God's trying to tell you. You've got to activate that truth in your life if you're going to experience the freedom that that truth can bring to your life. Here's where we are in our study of chapter 1 of Philippians. Knowing the truth, being set free in our minds, and, and renewing our minds. Now, Paul's circumstance has been shipwrecked, has been beat, has been thrown out of the city, left for dead. Paul's circumstance, as he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, is from prison in chains, facing death, how does Paul see his circumstances? What is his perception of his situation? I want to ask you, what is your perception of the situation that you're in right now? Whatever it is that you're in, you're dealing with, and you're going through, what is your perception of that? Now, I want to look at the second half of chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been lied about. He's been accused of stuff. He's been verbally persecuted. Now he's in prison. Paul did not find his joy in ideal circumstances. And we keep looking for our circumstances to be to our liking so that we can be happy. And the, the problem with that is, is your circumstances are seldom, if ever, to your complete liking. So you are doomed to a life that's not lived in joy 
because you continue to wait for your circumstances to make you joy, full of joy. And what we're talking about in Philippians, you change your perception of your circumstances and you live in joy in the midst of whatever your circumstances are. That is the message that Paul writes to the church at Philippi. Let's get started. We left off in chapter, I mean, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. We left off verse 12. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. Paul looked at wherever he was as an opportunity to share the good news. See, your life is a written epistle read by all men. So wherever you are, you are being a written epistle and God can use you in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself. And instead of finding himself confined as a prisoner, Paul sees how his circumstances just opened up new areas of ministry. I'm in touch with people I would have not been in touch with any other way. Verse 12. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Not only... Have I been a witness and an encouragement to those who don't know the Lord? I have been a witness and an encouragement to those who do know the Lord in the situation that I find myself. That's Paul's perception. Now, look at this. Verse 12, 13, and 14. The chains that are around Paul's wrist are releasing him to minister in a way that he would not have ministered if this was not the circumstance that he found himself in. What are we talking about? Your perception of your circumstance. It's the way you view what you're going through. Yeah, Tim, you don't know what I'm going through, but this is my... That is your view of what you're going through. But if you want to be happy, you could have a different view of what you're going through. Don't wait for your circumstances to change. Change your perception of where you are. The bottom line is, how are you looking at your chains? How are you looking at your imprisonment? Well, I'm not in prison. Well, you are. You're in prison. You young mothers are definitely in prison. You had rather be out doing this, that, or the other, but instead, you're changing diapers. You're mixing formula. You're cleaning up after a baby. You had rather be, except you're at home doing homework right now. You don't want to do spelling words. You, you don't want to go over multiplication tables. You definitely are in chains and in prison if you're a mother. If you have a job, you're in chains and in prison. I'd a lot rather be somewhere else. I got to be here. I got people depending on me. I've got things I got to do. 
I got to be up in that attic in the morning. That's what I've got to do. It doesn't matter how I, I wake up while I got a headache. I, it doesn't matter if I have a headache. I, I'm, I feel without beyond a shadow of a doubt. I will have a backache, a knee ache, and an arm ache because something aches on me every day. But regardless of what I wake up and find aching, if you're looking for me tomorrow, you will find me up there 50 feet high. That's where I will be because I've got people depending upon me tomorrow. It's no whether you have, oh, I got a headache. <laughs> Somebody else got a toe ache. That doesn't have, change the fact we got to get this done. There's things that have, see, you are imprisoned or enslaved or enchained to a commitment in life. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, I'm, that's where I am. That's where you are regardless of how you feel and regardless of what you might want to go and do today. Here's where you are and here's what you're doing. What's your perception? Are you raising somebody's husband? Are you raising somebody's mother? Are you raising somebody's wife? Are you stuck with this child and this is killing me? Are you raising maybe a president of the United States? Are you raising a minister that's going to pastor a church? Are you raising an accountant? Are you raising a doctor? This one that you are rocking at 3 o'clock in the morning may find the cure for cancer. You know, what is your, oh, I was up all night long. What's your perception of being up all night long? What is your perception of rocking? I rocked this baby from 3 to 5 last night. What is your perception of from 3 to 5 last night? Were you giving yourself to where you are? See, Paul was in prison, but his perception was to give myself to where I am and what I'm doing and not bellyache and gripe and complain and moan to everybody around him about how, how unfair it is that he's in prison. He never brings up how unfair it is he's in prison. He just... Going at it full blast right where he is. Don't keep talking about how unfair it is that you are where you are. Give yourself to where you are and watch joy come in your life. Discouragement has a way of spreading. Here's what I want you to know. So does encouragement. What you need to know is so does encouragement. It has a way of spreading. It has a way of lifting your spirits. You young moms, you young dads, you employees, you employers, where you are and what you're doing each day, you students, don't bemoan where you are. Give yourself to where you are. Give yourself to the prison or to the chains that you're in and to those around you and watch your perception change. Verse 13. For everyone here, including the whole guard, knows I'm in chains because of Christ. The chains, just a platform to preach from. And because of my imprisonment, the believers are being encouraged. I'm getting those that aren't believers, and I'm getting those that are believers. I'm just encouraging everybody around me. It's not the chains. It's your perception. When there is a storm, 
winds blowing, lightning crashing, sky rumbling in. The weatherman is all excited and he's chasing it because he sees a story that's going to make him famous. The musician sees a song about the storms coming in. The painter sees black and lightning and wind. He sees all of that on a canvas. How are you looking at your storms in life? Verse 15. Let me tell you something about verse 15 through verse 19. I want to make sure everybody gets this. This right here had a real effect on me. Verse 15 through verse 19, and I think about it often. It's true. Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry. Others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know that I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. That doesn't matter. Whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. And I will continue to rejoice, for I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Christ Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Maybe this affects me more than it does you because I am a Bible teacher and because I teach the truth of the Word of God. I have a very difficult time watching a lot of preachers on TV because they're not even close to what the Scripture says. I have a very difficult time when I see preachers that are scam artists up in front bragging on themselves, bragging on their knowledge of the Greek, and taking up big offerings to pad their own pocketbook. I got, I've got a problem with all of that. And years ago, that problem began to upset me, and it began to boil inside me. And I know it does many people because I hear them talk about preachers. And they don't go to church because those hypocritical preachers. I'll never go to church because that preacher did that preacher did. Look here. I read these four verses years ago, and it never dawned on me that instead of it being a 30-minute preaching slot, it could be a 30-minute porno spot. I mean, instead of that guy up there reading the Bible and he missed it and he's off base, he could have, I mean, you know, all I can tell you is at least they're talking about Christ and at least he's getting his name out there and in that I rejoice. I want to make sure that you get verse 15 through 19 because there's always going to be scam artists. There's always going to be cons and there's always going to be people out here that are using the gospel to con and to scam people. And I don't like it. It infuriates me. But at least I can rejoice. You see what Paul is saying? I, some do it out of good motives. And you bet you some do it out of bad motives. But I'm going to rejoice in the fact that Christ is being mentioned. See, Paul finds even bad situations something good to rejoice in. Instead of being all mad and bent out of shape, 
Let's find something good in the midst. It's bad. This guy's a real jerk. Scamming people. It's horrible. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rejoice. So I'm going to have to find something good in this to be happy about. So I'm going to rejoice in the fact that Christ at least is being mentioned and being lifted up. Make sure that you know where verse 15 through verse 19 is found. Verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ and dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm really torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Knowing this, I'm convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. And when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what he is doing through me. Wow. There's a lot said here. Paul was was not afraid of living, nor was he afraid of dying. You know, we got folks that are afraid of living, and we got folks that are afraid of dying. Paul's not afraid of living, and he's not afraid of dying. No wonder he had joy. If you're not afraid of dying, and you're not afraid of living, then you can be full of joy. Verse 20, some of your translations say purposed in his heart. Some say fully expect. Some say I trust. See, by life and by, or by death, Christ is exalted. Now, a person with this in mind does not get bent out of shape when he's got a hangnail. When something goes awry in his day, when you're not, you don't get jerked up when you are happy if you die or happy if you live. Now, in the scope of eternity, what is it that you are worrying about? Verse 21, for to me, li- living means living for Christ and dying is even better. Let me ask, what can you do to a person who has that attitude? Verse 22, 23, and 24 It's a hard decision, verse 24. But I want you to look at verse 24. It is better for others that I live. Can you say that? Or would everybody be better off if you were out of the way? You were such a jerk You are so abusive. You've been nothing but a problem. You've been nothing but difficulty. I want to live my life in a way that it's better for others if I stay alive. Now, when you look at that, are you so selfish? All you think about is your high, your feeling, your emotion, You live so self-centered life that you are not a benefit to anybody else. Wow. Verse 24. 
I want to make sure that I can say, I'd just as soon die, but it's better for you that I stay alive. Wow. Live your life in a way that it's better for your children that you're here than you're gone. Live your life in a way that it's better for this church if you're here because of what you do in this church than if you are not here. Live your life in a way that it's better for your family. It's better for your... Is it better for your next door neighbor that you're alive? Or do you even know their name? Are you available to take them to the doctor? Are you available to check on them when they're sick? Are you available? Is it better for your neighbors that you're... Do you live your life in a way that it's better? Would the place that you work be better off without you? Verse 25 and 26... His remaining is for others so he can continue to help them. It would be easier to die and go to heaven. It'd be easier for me just to end my life here and go to heaven. But I don't want to do that. I want to continue to be a blessing to other people. I want to continue. Now, don't get me wrong. It'd be better for me not to be here. But I want to be here so that I can continue to help other people. We live such a selfish life. Self-centered life that it's impossible for you to be happy. But when you begin to live your life to benefit and to help others, then and only then can you experience some true happiness. Verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is the church missing that? Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. It gets worse. Conducting yourself in a manner worthy of of the good news about Christ. Do you live your life conducting yourself in a manner that's worthy of Christ? Do you conduct yourself in that way? Let me tell you something. The most important weapon, the most important weapon that the enemy has, it's not a good sermon, It's not a good book. It's the life of a believer. It's the life of a believer. And the enemy can take a believer's life and do great destruction with it. And the enemy can, and and the Lord can take a believer's life and cause great change to come in others because of it. Way too much emphasis is put on a good book. Way too much emphasis is put on a good sermon and not near enough emphasis is put on the individual life of a Christian that's at the hardware store, that runs a beauty shop, that runs a convenience store, that runs a you in the business, working with your employees, and you live in your life is the biggest sermon that can ever be preached. And you can't lose sight of that. The greatest weapon against the devil is a godly life. And I say that without any reservation 
because you can't deny what's happened in a person's life. Well, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that sermon. I don't believe in prayer. I don't believe in God. Here's what I'm telling you. You knew me 20 years ago, and you knew me now. The argument's over. I mean, the argument's over. There is no denying what God can do in a heathen's life. And when you lived a life full of hell for a number of years and a dramatic change has happened in your life, all of those that knew you back then, they cannot deny that in any way. That's indisputable. That's why I say it is the biggest source of a sermon in its effect on people's lives. Verse 27, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith. Your, work, your translations say fighting together. Some say striving together. That word in the Greek is a word we get our word athletics from. And the picture here is a ball team, a basketball team that sets picks has a great pass. You know, a great pass, anybody can lay it in the basket when you have a great pass. A great steal and a pass down court, a great rebound and then throw it to the guy that makes the point. There's teamwork that it takes. Football, you got to have a lot of blocking. Uh, you, you, the, the guy that catches the pass makes the quarterback look good. You can't have a good looking quarterback if all of his passes are dropped. You see, the, he's talking about fight. This is not an individual activity here. What we all in the body of Christ, I, I was down here earlier today by myself. And I was not having near the effect that I am now with this room full of people. What we're doing here, everybody in here, we're fighting together for the faith and for the furtherance of the gospel in our community. And it takes all of us doing that, and not any of us can do this by ourselves. The enemy rejoices in division, in arguments. The, the Greek language, the prefix S-U-N, son athleo, we get the word athletic from that. But that son in the Greek means fighting or striving together as athletes. And Paul uses that prefix 16 times in these four chapters. It takes all of us to do what God's called us to do. And Paul is aware of that. It's not one monkey having a circus. It takes all, it takes everybody doing this together. The next thing that Paul shares, the essential key here into your joy is, 
I will know. There is a level of confidence that we have to have in one another. There's a level of confidence that we have to have for us to live in joy. See, Paul is in joy because I'm going to know. I'm going to know that you're going to be striving with me, I'm striving with you, and I'm going to hear good things about you. The church will always have people that come and go. There's folks that'll like it for a while, and they'll leave, and then there's folks that'll leave, and then they'll come back. And that, you, you always have that. But I can know that Terry will be sitting right there. I can know that George will be sitting right there. See, in that, I can have confidence in, and I've, that brings great joy in knowing that. There's not a doubt in my mind that Mike is not going to be here in the morning. There's not a doubt in my mind. See, when you know that about people, do you live your life where others can depend on you? Or can nobody in your family depend on you? For us to live in joy, you've got to have some people that you know about. There's some folks that I can know about. I, you just know they're going to be doing the right thing. I, I, I just know. I, I can just know. I'm not... Well, is Timmy drunk today or is he sober today? I tell you, you never know about him. Is Timmy going to be happy or is he depressed today? Here's what I can know. When I get around Timmy, he's going to be smiling, he's going to be in a good mood, and he'll be doing what he's supposed to do. You don't ever have to worry about... See, you, and that brings me joy. See, what was bringing Paul joy is that he knew people that he could know about, confidence about. And what you've got to concern yourself with is being one of those people. Is your life lived where others can know about you? Here's what I can know. My dad will be home tonight. Here's what I can know. My dad will take care of the bills. My dad, here's what I can know. My mom will be here and life will be strong. See, are you living your life in a way that others can know about you? And that brings great joy to all of us. Why did Paul see this as so much joy? He counted it as a privilege. Verse 28, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you've been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of this. Some of your translations say alarmed. Some say intimidated. Look, I, tell you, I didn't have this much trouble when I was in the world. I tell you, I've gotten saved, and all hell's broke loose. Duh. Your whole life, you and the devil were going the same way. This is the first time in your life you're going head to head with him. This is the first time in your life you are going the opposite direction of the devil. What do you mean? I can't believe I'm having all this struggle. For the first time in your life, you ought to be having some struggle. It isn't any struggle when you're going the same way the devil is. He's not after you. You think your life was tough going with the devil. Wait till you turn around and go up upstream from the way he's going. There's a lot of struggles. And I find that a privilege. I find that a privilege. 
I find it a privilege that I'm worthy. It's a privilege to have people talking about this ministry. Folks, leave here and gossip about me and gossip about this ministry. That's a privilege because I used to be in a church nobody talked about. There are preachers, there's nothing bad to say about them because there's nothing good to say about them. Let me just tell you something. The more people you affect, the more people are going to gossip about you. The more people you will have leave and run you down. And the more this ministry is on podcast, the further our reach is, then the more hate mail we get. Wow, we only got 10 pieces of hate mail this week. We sure didn't reach very many people. See, Paul looked at that as a positive, not people don't, they're just so talking about me. Well, for crying out loud, do something. Do something that's worthy to be talked about. If nobody is talking about you, then you are doing nothing. Come on. The more you have, the more struggles you're going to have. The more you reach and the more you do, put in a business and then the neighbors will start talking about you. Don't put in a business and nobody will talk about you. Come on, it's the way it is. If there's in any encouragement, find encouragement from all of us being in this together. Verse 30, all of us, everybody, we all are experiencing the same conflict. So you're not going through anything that not anybody else is going through. Listen here. When our two daughters were playing basketball, their coach would run them and run them and run them, and they'd come home and their little legs were hurting, their knees were hurting, they'd be to the point of tears. Did I come down here and want to beat the coach up? No. That was for the good of them and the team. Terry and I get up and walk. I lift weights. All day long, my elbows hurt. My shoulders hurt. Do I lift weights again? Absolutely. Why are you doing that if it hurts? Because I know it's producing a greater good. You're going through struggles. You're going through difficulties. You're going through aches and pains in your life. But understand it is for a greater good. I want to end chapter 1 with this. Live in joy. When you see what good your circumstances are doing in your life, in the life of other people. I want you to remember this. It's more valuable to seek God's presence than it is to seek his presence. Many people want what God gives, but few want a relationship with him. Psalm 1611, thou will make known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And in thy right hand are pleasures forever. Look at your week. Look at your week. Look at your month. Look at where you are. Look at your circumstances in light of fulfilling God's calling and plan and purpose for you. And purpose in your heart to live in joy. Y'all stand.
We hope that you have been blessed, encouraged, and motivated by today's message. If you are interested in more messages by the pastors at CM Church, please log on to our website at www.cmchurch.com and click on our podcast link. You can also purchase series and other messages at our online store. Thank you.